Hey there, I'm Jeff MacArthur. Today on the podcast, we talk about Finance Minister Bill Morneau stepping down, Christian Freeland stepping in as the new Finance Minister, proroguing Parliament, and Governor General Julie Piet. Okay, so the Prime Minister looking at a major reset, moving Christia Freeland into finance after the departure of Bill Morneau last night. Liberals also expected to prorogue Parliament and hold a cabinet retreat sometime next month. Nelson Wiseman is a professor of political science at the University of Toronto and joins us now for more here on Global News Radio. Nelson, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Okay, uh, first off, I mean, this is a word I think a lot of people haven't heard, uh, proroguing Parliament since the Harper days. What exactly are the rules here? Can the Liberals do this in a minority situation? As I understand it, all the Prime Minister needs basically is the blessing of the Governor-General. Is that right? That's right. And the blessing has always been extended and never denied. So that uh, actually we would have a constitutional crisis, in my opinion, if the Governor-General tried to hold it up. There's no reason. Uh, okay, what are the Liberals, do you think, what are they hoping to achieve here by prorogation? By changing the channel, by not, not standing up in Parliament and responding to the opposition uh, uh, charges and questions, by not being poked. You know, I mean, all of a sudden, if Parliament isn't meeting, the opposition doesn't have a forum from which to attack the government, to criticize what they're doing. And so prorogation is a look, Trudeau wants to get away from the We Charity scandal. That's the main thing that's been hanging over this government. The best way to do that is you shut down the place where people can criticize you. Now, of course, there'll still be uh, criticism uh, coming out in the media and in other forums, but Parliament is, uh, is, is, the, is the people's house, and it's not going to happen there. Do you think that strategy, though, is it, Nelson, is it likely to work? I mean, polling seems to indicate that the damage to the Liberals with the Wee scandal has been minimal, but holding up the work of Parliament, which they have been criticized for early on during the pandemic, does this have a chance to hurt them, do you think, electorally by doing it once again with the prorogation? No, I don't, I don't, think, I don't think the public cares about prorogation. People don't follow Parliament as closely as they did 70, 80 years ago. Uh, the only the, the prorogation story, as you mentioned, was really big news when Harper was involved because he knew the opposition parties made it clear they were going to defeat him. So he got a prorogation to escape political execution. In this case, if we don't have a prorogation, the opposition parties will try to embarrass the government, but they don't want to defeat the government. All the politicians tune into the polls. They tell you they don't, but they do. A poll came out yesterday showing that the Liberals are at 41% and the Conservatives are at 29%. Let's remember, 41% is way higher than the Liberals got when they formed the majority government. So if we did have an election now, they would win an overwhelming majority. The Conservatives, the last thing they would want now is a... uh, is an election. And they've signaled that. In fact, Darren O'Toole, who's running, I don't know if he'll become the leader, it said he's going to try to bring the government down at the first opportunity. Oh, all of a sudden this weekend he's changed his tune. He says, well, at the appropriate time. You know what the appropriate time is for the Conservatives? When they're leading in the polls or they're tied. So um, uh, prorogation is a technique you use And it can be for various reasons, you know, like they're legitimate reasons. I mean, Trudeau's claiming we want to 
sort of come out with the fresh program. But, you know, I, I don't know how fresh it's going to be. Uh, you don't have to have a prorogation uh, to make it happen. What does happen with the prorogation is that there's a speech from the throne when Parliament reconvenes, and that is a confidence matter. But there are confidence matters that would come up normally in the course of what's called voting supply. About every three months, uh, Parliament votes on providing money to government departments. It's now often called opposition days, where the opposition could propose anything it wants, including a, a motion of non-confidence. The Bloc Québécois is planning to do that in the autumn, whether there's a speech on the throne or not. And it doesn't matter because the Liberals are going to be propped up by the NDP. And even if the NDP didn't want to have it, the Conservatives would come up with a reason to not have an election. All right. I'm also uh, wondering, uh, Nelson, after heavily criticizing the Harper Conservatives for this move, do the Liberals, do they have like moral ground, if you will, to stand on here when it comes to prorogating Parliament? Well, we've had prorogations, I believe, by the Liberals before this. I can't remember exactly when because it hasn't been significant. Yeah, the Liberals can do it. People don't really care. They don't know. The, the Harper, the, the situation, in, uh, when was it, 2004, was fundamentally, it was, it was just, it wasn't 2004, it was after that. It was when, uh, after, two, after they, they won a minority government. It, it was fundamentally different because... As I say, um, the opposition parties were all determined to defeat the government. That just isn't the case now. Even they say, and the public doesn't care. The, for the public, this is just inside, you know, like inside baseball. It's something that happens in Ottawa. Uh, the public does not. The last thing the public wants now is an election. I mean, I don't know. Are your callers calling in demanding an election? A lot may not like Trudeau. Uh, and the Liberals, but they don't really want to... Look, we just had an election last November. Yeah. I don't. We're not going to get an election until 2022. I'm very confident that no matter what scandals we get, uh, this government is going to last. And the only uh, conceivable thing I can see is if you get a, uh, a scandal where the opposition parties are put in a position where they have to vote against the government because their supporters demand it. That isn't the case right now. I think even if you poll conservatives, conservative voters, they will say they don't want an election. All right, let me ask you as well about Pierre Polyev and his tweet, which he sent out a couple hours ago, which reads, Liberals to prorogue and shut down investigations in the we scandal from corruption to chaos to now cover-up. Does the investigation into the Wee scandal, does it necessarily have to be shut down if a parliament is shut down? Hey, that's an excellent point. I, 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 absolutely. That's what happens with prorogation. Not only is parliament shut down, but parliament's committees are shut down. So those committees will get reconstituted in the autumn. But by that time, uh, uh, the Wee story will have died out. Now that I think about it, that's the logic that Trudeau's pursuing behind prorogation. He doesn't want any further investigation. Harper did the same thing. After the very co controversial prorogation he did to avoid political execution, and that was and, and that was triggered by the fact that he was going to take away funding for the opposition parties. If you recall, 
stories came out that Canadian soldiers in Afghanistan were turning over people they had captured to the Afghans, knowing full well that the people they were turning over were going to be tortured, tortured. And that and a foreign service officer testified to that effect in front of a parliamentary committee. It, there was a minority government. The opposition party, of course, wants to embarrass the government. They wanted to dig deeper and deeper. So what did uh, Harper do? He prorogued Parliament again, and there wasn't nearly the same controversy. And that's what's and and so Polyev is right spot on. His government, of course, did the same thing. So what will now happen is the Finance Committee and whatever other committee deals is investigating the we charity they're shut down once you get a prorogation yeah at the end of all of this uh, nelson is the big loser the canadian uh, public here when the business of the country is not getting done parliament is, is shut down these investigations are not happening and no i don't think much changes because the government is still a government they've gotten you know, often, look, Parliament often meets and not very much business gets done anyways, but they're meeting. So uh, the government has, uh, you know, I mean, they, they've got the, um, they will come down with the budget. Uh, what will happen is that the money they spend now ha- has been authorized. And if it hasn't been, it'll it'll get authorized when they reconvene. But I believe it's all been uh, authorized already in 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 votes on supply like in opposition days so when you say does the canadian uh, public lose uh, you know it depends i mean parliament could be meeting and nothing could be happening also uh, you know when you look at the legislation that goes through a lot of it is just is is um window um just housekeeping things you know they're they're minor things I don't know what it is that the Canadian government, that the Canadian public is really pushing for the government to do right now that it hasn't done. Of course, there are different interests that have, that want different things done, and a lot of those things are done by regulations. You don't need Parliament to pass a law to do them. All right, got to leave it there for now. Nelson Wiseman, appreciate the time and the perspective as always. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. Goes Nelson Wiseman from the University of Toronto. Morneau is out, Freeland is in, and Parliament appears to be going on hiatus. For more on this, we're joined now by Christian Leprecht from Queen's University. He joins us here on Global News Radio. Christian, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay, delaying Parliament. Many are wondering what this exactly will mean for the Liberals. We were just talking to a Nelson Wiseman from the University of Toronto. He says the last thing the opposition he believes that they want is an election right now, but you believe this might actually mean an election sooner rather than later? Yeah, I mean, I had uh, written extensively uh, for McDonald Laurie Institute a long study on uh, on how the current government has essentially been trying to avoid Parliament and having uh, and avoiding engaging with Parliament, and I think this will give them an excuse to keep uh, dragging this out. Parliament is set to sit again on September 21st, so as long as the government prorogues Parliament before then, it means they can buy themselves another one to three months. But uh, we've only ever had one winter election in this country, so it's either going to be a late fall election or it's going to be a spring election. And look, all the investigations that are currently underway with the government, those take about six months to do. So they'll come out in about January or February with the results. Uh, The government is doing reasonably well in the polls. 
And if you think about it, in November, they're going to be competing with the U.S. federal election. That's going to be taking up all the oxygen in terms of the uh, the newsroom. So it's going to be very difficult for the opposition to get the word out. Plus, of course, the NDP has serious financial woes, so they're going to have real trouble mounting um, a substantial federal campaign. You put all that together and you reckon it's probably not going to get any better. So I would be hedging my bets that uh, by November we're going to be going to the polls in this country. Even though the polls indicate right now the Liberals, despite the We Charity scandal, hold a commanding lead, some 41% to the Liberals, or sorry, to the uh, Conservatives who are in the high 20s right now? Yeah, all the more reason. Look, I mean, you're going to have a new Conservative leader who won't have the benefit of having had a party convention to generate a full platform. Uh, so you're going to be going straight from the leadership race, most likely uh, almost uh, into, into a federal election. So you won't have been able to establish yourself um, as, uh, as as the Conservative leader. You won't have been able to get a whole lot of um, material out in terms of the positions that you hold and that you defend. And so it's going to be, rather than waging an, uh, an election on sort of the substance of the issues, you're going to be waging the election on uh, the, the personalities uh, that uh, that will contend for the leadership here. Um, and I think that'll be probably a very tough contest for the, and for the Conservatives to engage in, especially if you can't have, you know, in November, we're probably still going to have restrictions on public gatherings. It's going to be difficult to have large rallies. Uh, so I think it'll just be really difficult for the opposition to get their messaging out. You don't think the new Conservative leader wants some time in the uh, chair, the give the Canadian voter and electorate uh, a chance to kind of warm up to them, get to know them, or these names, McKay and Atul, uh, either one of those, the front runners, if they win the leadership, they're already well-known enough that their brand's established, do you think? Oh, no, they'll want the, all the time they can possibly get. I mean, they'll be happy to go next spring or ideally um, a year out in uh, in October. Um, but I think they're simply not going to get that benefit because the Liberals have said they're going to table a budget, a budget, of course, that's six months behind and should have been tabled last spring and that the Liberals have avoided. And that budget is, uh, in Canada by tradition, this will most likely be an election budget. So it won't really be a budget. It'll be an electoral platform. And that electoral platform is going to contain a significant amount of spending, uh, probably involving EI, probably involving a whole bunch of green technology technology and greening Canada and so forth. Um, and uh, it's going to make the a budget that's going to be very difficult for the opposition parties to support, probably for the Conservatives, simply by virtue of the size of the spending that's being proposed. Uh, and so the Liberals are going to call the Conservatives out on, well, what is that you're going to do? Are you going to uh, be budget cutters here when Canadians are in hard times? Um, you know, if you're not going to support our profligate budget here, what's your alternative solution? Um, and I think it's it's going to be taking the advantage that the positional advantage that the Liberal Party currently holds uh, in the polls and also in the prominence of uh, of the news media, um, and trying to turn that into what will likely be a favorable election outcome for them. But of course, a day is an eternity in politics, so we'll see what happens between now and then. Yeah, Christian, give us your take on the NDP. Do you think there's an appetite on behalf of the New Democrats for an election? Is Jagmeet Singh not really kind of enjoying his position as quote-unquote kingmaker right now? Uh, obviously, the Liberals, they need the NDP's support in a minority situation. And would they really want to go to the polls and see the Liberals, maybe if current trending and polling holds true, get another majority government and really kind of take a lot of uh, the power that they currently enjoy in Parliament away from them? Yeah, there's two dimensions to this. One is that the, the, 
the NDP has serious financial trouble. Um, and so they need a lot more time to continue to fundraise because they are still paying off debts from the uh, from the last federal election. Uh, so they're probably the party that's the least prepared to go and that probably has the greatest interest in keeping the government alive. The other problem that the NDP has, and this is also a problem for the Conservatives, is that uh, the Conservatives always do well when the NDP does well because many of the Liberal voters are more likely to migrate to the NDP than they are to migrate to the Conservatives. And so, for instance, if you look at uh, um, at the Harper win, the majority win in 2011, this is sort of the, the phenomenon of every time the NDP sort of does well, or if you look at the 1980s, uh, Brian Maroney and Ed Broadbent. Uh, so the Conservatives really need, if they want to have uh, a real chance of forming government, they need a strong NDP leader, ironically. Um, and it seems that Mr. Singh, I think, as, as, as really good as his performance has been, uh, throughout the pandemic in terms of holding the government to account, uh, the NDP has had trouble translating that into um, gains in the polls, and they've stuck with their 10-year-old strategy of trying to convince Canadians that they're the party that's really looking out uh, for the Canadians that are hurting and that are in hard times and that are trying to do better uh, in a globalized economy. And it seems that strategy just has never really resonated and taken up with more than that standard sort of relatively core sort of support uh, of NDP voters and that the NDP does well when it has um, a, a, a very strong leader that can really bring out the vote. And it seems that Mr. Singh so far has not been able to uh, convince um, beyond the benchmark core support uh, that the NDP has more people to support the NDP. And that's bad news for the Conservatives and good news for the Liberals. Well, it goes without saying, interesting time. So much for the dog days of summer in the middle of August when nothing is really uh, happening. Uh, Christian, thank you so much for your time and perspective. Appreciate it as always. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Be well. There's Christian Leprec with Queen's University. Morneau is out. Freeland is in. And what about our Governor General? For more on all of the news coming out of Ottawa today, it's almost like there's too much of it. Here's a John Bianco. He is a senior partner at Fleischman Hilliard and joins us now here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Hey, John, good afternoon. Thanks for your time. No, no, no issues at all. Hi, Jeff. Okay, your take, first of all, on the resignation uh, last night of Bill Marneau. Uh, Pierre Polyev on our airwaves here earlier today with her very own Kelly Cotrera, he said that not even... Morneau buys his own story. Uh, for many people, it doesn't pass the smell test. How about you? Well, another thing that, that Pierre mentioned uh, in, his, uh, in his press conference was that, and used the word chaos. I think um, weird, uh, chaotic is, uh, are words that, that explain what, what just, just, just transpired. I think a lot, of the, a lot of people that were watching politics uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks were, were not surprised, I guess, that, that it ultimately ended up in, in Bill Marneau resigning. You know, over the last couple of weeks, there was a concerted effort by the prime minister's office uh, to leak information about the supposed policy differences between the prime minister and, and Bill Marneau. Uh, also, the, the leak of that, that Mark, Mark Garney, the, you know, the former, governor, the former uh, bank governor here in Canada in the UK, was coming back and was, was giving some advice and counsel to the, to the prime minister. All of that kind of led to a really strange kind of feeling that, you know, that, that Bill Marneau was, was being left out or, or you know, was, was having to look over his shoulders to see what was going on. So I think, I think that you know, what yesterday culminated in was 
you know, Bill Marneau basically not having enough and, and trying to find to put his own narrative on, on why he was leaving. Uh, but really, it, it just it, it doesn't pass the smell test. I think a lot of people realize that the wee controversy and the scandal that that was ensuing this government over the last little while, which involved Bill Marneau, uh, and that one of the two had to leave, either the prime minister or the finance minister. Now, it wasn't going to be the prime minister, so it ultimately was the finance minister. Sure. Why not just, I don't know, be upfront about it? I mean, would there be any harm in Marneau saying, listen, the prime minister and I sat down this morning, and this was the last of many discussions about moving the country forward economically out of the pandemic. Our views are very different, and we've decided to part company. Would that be be too damaging to the government and to the prime minister to just be kind of that bold? Well, you know, and, and, and well, it probably would have been made more sense, I think, if, if something like that happened or just if he would have said, look, you know what? I made a mistake uh, during the week controversy. I should have recused myself. I apologize. It wasn't enough. I'm, I'm a distraction to this government. There's a lot of work to be done. So I feel that, you know, it's best that I just leave now. I think that probably would have gotten a bit more sympath- sympathetic, you know, notes from, from folks as opposed to saying that, you know, he didn't even say there was controversy or even 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 policy differences. What he said was it wasn't his time that, you know, it involved a longer-term vision that he wasn't prepared to uh, to uh, undertake. And also, oh, by the way, the position of Secretary General for the OECD was available, uh, and uh, I'll go for that and, and resign. It just didn't, it just was all not the right messaging, and it left a lot of people that, as we saw, as we see today, just scratching their heads saying, what, what just happened, and, and why are we doing this? Yeah, I guess he could not bring up the we scandal, because obviously if he said he's too much of a distraction and he has to step aside, the next logical question, John, is, well, then what about the prime minister himself? Well, that's exactly it, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of attention to the ethics commissioner when when he comes down with his ruling, because of course, as you know, and as your listeners know, uh, the investigation under uh, regarding the we scandal and, and some of the ethics uh, ethics transgressions are, are still being investigated by by uh, the ethics commissioner, and those rulings are going to come down no matter what, even if Bill Marneau uh, leaves and, and uh, resigns and quits politics, uh, and of course, when that comes, if it comes. Uh, as most people think that that they're going to be found, you know, guilty of some ethics violations, it's better to have at least one of them gone and not both of them there at the same time while, while they both get uh, implicated, if they get implicated. All right. Meantime, Christia Freeland is in as finance minister. Uh, she's pretty much doing every job in the government, it uh, seems now, yet another uh, title. What do you think is uh, the number one priority or should be the number one priority for Freeland as the new finance minister? Well, I, I think, first off, Jeff, it was a safe choice for the prime minister. I think that, you know, Christia Freeland, as you mentioned, is, has been sort of the fix-it minister. Uh, we've seen other administrations in the past have of a certain person or an individual who, who does that kind of job. In the, in the days of Brian Mulroney, when he was prime minister, Don Mazankowski was his fix-it minister. Um, so it's not surprising, and I think it does kind of allay some concerns of who would replace Bill Marneau. So I think from that perspective, it was probably a safe and, and smart choice. I think that uh, Christie has a lot to deal with, a huge bargaining debt and deficit that is that is beyond uh, the, the norm and, and, and it's a historic of levels. I think having to come, come, come to terms with that and have some level of a plan and how to bring that down is is uh, one of the first key jobs. I think the other thing too is, you know, if, if we have a resurgence of, of this COVID, God forbid, you know, come fall, as, as some health experts are thinking that there might be, you know, do we have a plan, a financial economic plan to not only survive that, uh, or at least deal with that potential resurgence, but also to survive it going beyond that. So it's a big job and it's why a lot of people 
were left, you know, sort of hanging. Why, you know, Bill Marneau, who's been the finance minister for for the last, you know, term and 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 uh, in a bit, uh, would resign at a time when most people would want it would want some a steady hand at the tiller, especially in the Ministry of Finance. Sure. Okay. Now we also have heard that the government will prorogue Parliament, looking for a bit of a uh, reset. Do you think uh, this is such a big job that uh, Friedland will only have the finance portfolio uh, moving forward? We're expecting a uh, fairly significant cabinet shuffle. No, I, I, I can't imagine that this is an interim position for for Chrystia Freeland. I I think that would be just a devastating move to have her come in and then have somebody else come in after that. I think. But would she uh, lose probably intergovernmental affairs? I was thinking. Yeah, she she will, and I think they've already they've already tapped or they're making a, a, you know noise that that Dominic LeBlanc will come in and, and take on that role uh, to uh, to give at least her uh, Christian Freeland some time to be able to focus on finance, given the fact that she's doing everything else. But I think she'll be in for for a while. She'll probably have she'll probably keep the deputy prime minister uh, title. Uh, give up inter- intergovernmental, give that to Dominic LeBlanc. Uh, there's a cabinet shuffle that's happening as we speak, so we'll probably get that confirmed. And and I think that she'll be the, the, the finance minister up until the election, and there could be very well an election this fall, quite frankly, or even as early as spring of 2021. Yeah, give me your take on that. Are you in that camp? There are some that believe that there's no way that the opposition is going to call a snap election. You know, we're only 10 months into the mandate of the liberal minority uh, government that the uh, conservatives are still busy trying to choose a leader. And the polls, despite the wee scandal, are still heavily, uh, John, in favor of the liberals. As a matter of fact, they could emerge if there was a snap election, perhaps if you believe the polls, with another majority. Well, and that those polls were obviously done before the Bill Monroe resignation. But but none. But to your point, though, Jeff, there's no question that that you know, despite some of the challenges the Liberal government has faced, that they still have some uh, base support that that some say would might give them b- bigger seats or more seats than they did last time around. But I'm of the camp that look, the Conservatives are going to pick their leader uh, this Sunday. So we're going to have we're finally going to have as Conservatives a permanent leader, uh, either uh, either Peter McKay or Aaron O'Toole. I suspect the two front runners will will lead the party. Uh, and that will establish them as a, okay, now they're set. Because one of the things that would not go in early for an election was the fact that the Conservatives were in a leadership race. Well, that'll be resolved as of August. The fact that the Prime Minister's prorogued Parliament uh, which effectively shuts everything down until, you know, he says probably October uh, with a throne speech and then potentially a budget. Well, those are items that, that will have a vote of confidence or non-confidence. So if there's going to be an election or an election potential threat, it will be at that point uh, which could launch us into a, a fall election. And I would imagine the parties, Jeff, would look and see what's going on with, the, with, with us with the coronavirus in Canada. If there is a resurgence We'll know by October uh, and November whether or not, you know, Canadians are in the mood of of an election or not, uh, or if they're still facing whether or not their kids are going to be able to stay in school. And I think that'll trump everything. Meantime, John, it's not only the government in crisis, it's also the governor general's office. Reports yesterday that security spending is up because of uh, Julie Payette's refusal to cooperate with RCMP detail. Do you believe this story, is it starting to really resonate with voters? That's just getting to be more of a mess every day, uh, you know. And and I think I think Canadians absolutely are interested in this. I think, you know, normally they, they you know, just by virtue of the pandemic and, and Canadians are glued to, te- to the televisions. I think still now, even though we're we're now in stage three and and people are a bit more relaxed about it, but I still think they're watching this and they're seeing this as another opportunity. Of, of why government sometimes just doesn't work and why they just are, are fed up with it all. But to have a governor general who's who's now being, you know, questioned with respect to her, not only her spending, her work ethic, 
whether or not the, the prime minister does the, has confidence in, in her. And I know that at various press conferences, when asked uh, by the media if the prime minister has confidence in uh, the governor general, he's, evaded the, he's avo- avoided the question uh, and basically said, look, he believes in the position of the governor general, which, which most Canadians do. Uh, but I think it resonates. I think the fact that if this if this governor general is becoming a distraction, and they shouldn't be a distraction, quite frankly, they should just be doing their roles as other governor generals have. But if it becomes, if she still becomes headline stories uh, over the course of the next little while, then it, I think it just becomes more of a, of, a, of a headache for the prime minister and the government to have to deal with. Yeah, for those that have not been following the latest, and I can't really blame you, there's so much news, as we mentioned off the top, coming out of the nation's uh, capital. There's reports that uh, Payette's actions, in which she wasn't really keeping the RCMP in the loop when it comes to her schedule and uh, not being cooperative with her security uh, detail, has driven up security costs by some estimates of four to $15,000 per week. So having said that, can a governor general, do we know, John, can they be fired? Is there a chance that uh, Julie Payette might be moved out? Or can Prime Minister Trudeau afford that with, uh, you know, Jody Wilson-Raybould, Jane Philpott, now Bill Marneau? It's starting to really add up for the prime minister. Well, and I also think, I don't, I don't know if the prime minister has any more international jobs available to give his people. <laughs> He's, uh, he, seems to, uh, he seems to offer, uh, uh, you know, former cabinet ministers uh, who are in trouble jobs at the international level. We saw that with, uh, with John McCallum, John McCallum uh, going over there and, and now, with, uh, you know, now with Bill Marneau, who's, who's apparently going to run for secretary general. So um, it, 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 it's a problem. And I don't know if you could fire necessarily uh, a governor general because it, it is a, is a parliamentary uh, appointment by the, by the prime minister approved in principle by the queen. Uh, it would be obviously a, a huge, a huge deal to do. I would say that, you know, at some point she would, she likely, her term will likely not be renewed. Uh, uh, and, uh, and there, it might be to a point of, of the controversy being so great that she may very well step down before her term. All right. To be continued, John, really appreciate the time with us this afternoon. Good chatting. Thanks, Jeff. Be well. There goes John Capobianco, Senior Vice President with Fleischman Hillard. And that's the podcast for today. Don't forget to catch me live every weekday starting at 1 on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.